The following sermon, entitled Admonished and Assured by Baptism, was preached on the evening of May 14, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word tonight to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we will read the first 14 verses, and we do so in connection with Lord's Day 26 and the first part of Lord's Day 27 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's begin by reading Romans 6, the first 14 verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection." knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but, that he, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. As far we read God's Word, it's on the basis of this passage and many, many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Days 26 and 27. We will consider tonight Questions 69 through 73, reserving 74 for next time so that we can focus on the matter of infant baptism. Let's begin with question 69. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee? Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. What is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? 
It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where has Christ promised us that He will as certainly wash us by His blood and Spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and Spirit of Jesus Christ. But especially that by this divine pledge and sign, He may assure us that we are are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Child of God, what good is your baptism for you today? Is it of any good? Does it have any value for you? Or is it just some meaningless ritual that we perform as churches? If there is value, what is it? It's an important question for us to face as we are in the section of the catechism that treats the sacraments beginning with baptism. And we need to face this question because at the beginning of our treatment of the sacraments, we might wonder, why do we need to go through this again? Why do we need to hear about baptism and the the Lord's Supper again? It's a valid question because if if there was not a good answer to that first question, value, what good is your baptism for you today? There's not a good answer to that question. Then we may very well just skip these few Lord's Days. We may very well just remove these Lord's Days from the Heidelberg Catechism and say, we do not need to talk about them so frequently. But there is a good answer to the question, What good, what value is your baptism for you today? And the value is that it it admonishes us and assures us that the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ is of real advantage for me. 
It admonishes us. That is, it, it teaches us. It, it reminds us. It also assures us. That, it, that is, it addresses our doubts, our concerns. It, it strengthens our faith. It gives us confidence. That what Jesus Christ did at the cross and the shedding of His blood applies to me personally. That's the value. That's the good of your baptism for you still today. But now in asserting that, that raises additional questions. Of what more specifically does it admonish assure me? What's the significance of it? And how does it work? How does it do these important things for me? And when does it do this? Just the one time when I'm baptized? Or is there there's something to it throughout the whole of my life? And those are the questions we intend to address this evening as we come to the truth of baptism as it's explained for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. We consider this Lord's Day using as our theme admonished and assured by baptism. We're taking that language right from question 69 which asks, how art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism? First, we will ask, the, ask and answer the question, of what does it admonish and assure me? Second, how? And third, when? Of what, how, and when? To ask the question, of what does baptism admonish and assure me, is to ask the question, what does baptism signify? What does it point to? And there are three main answers to that question. The first is the primary one, but the second and third are also important. First and foremost, baptism signifies the washing away of sins. That's the emphasis of the Heidelberg Catechism. In the questions and answers that we read, there are 14 references to washing or washed. And this is in harmony with Scripture. Because the word baptize in Scripture can mean to wash. And what is more, baptism is referred to as a washing as is indicated in at the very end of question and answer 71. This promise is also repeated where the Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. And it's referencing Titus 3, verse 5 and Acts 22, verse 16. So baptism is a picture of our spiritual washing and the, the picture, the figure is so simple that even the youngest children here can understand it. Just as water is used to wash away dirt from our physical bodies, so the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our spiritual dirt, that is our sins, from our hearts and souls. This is an illustration that makes sense to us. It made sense to the people who lived in the days of Jesus Christ, who lived in the land of Palestine, that dry and dusty place where they had to walk along roads wearing sandals, their feet would get dirty. And thus a part of hospitality living in that land at that time was that when someone came into your home, you you provided for them to wash their feet or have their feet washed because no one wants dirty feet the entire time that he's visiting or fellowshiping. And no homeowner wants that dirt tracked into his or her home. This figure would have made sense. 
in the days of Jesus Christ and the apostles. And it makes sense to us still today. If you have ever been really, really dirty, something was spilled upon you, or you're covered in dirt and sweat on account of a long day of hard work, what do you want more than anything? You just want to be clean. You cannot wait to take that shower so that you can feel clean again, refreshed again. When we are dirty and we feel it, we long to be clean. And it's that very truth that is embedded into the symbolism of the sacrament of baptism. So that the symbolism here, first of all, is really a reminder that I am spiritually dirty. Baptism admonishes me of that first of all. It reminds me I am a sinner because no one needs a a cleansing, a washing, unless they were previously dirty. And this comes out in the Heidelberg Catechism. For example, in answer 69, it speaks of the fact that we are certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul. It's referring to our sins because it goes on to say that is from all my sins. Our sins pollute us. They make us dirty in the eyes of our God. That's true because we have that corrupt, that defiled nature, that old man of sin still within us. This truth also comes out in the form for the administration of baptism. It explains the principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism. And the first is this, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are children of wrath in so much that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified and we are admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation outside of ourselves. The first principal part of the doctrine of baptism is that it admonishes me, I'm spiritually dirty. And on account of that, I deserve the wrath of God. That's what that baptism form just mentioned. It connected our pollution, our sin, to the fact that we deserve His wrath. We have no right to come into the presence of this God to enjoy fellowship with Him. He doesn't want our spiritual dirt being brought into His presence, into His house. And baptism reminds us of that. And do we not need that reminder? Because our inclination is to think otherwise. Our tendency is to think, well, I'm not all that bad after all. I'm a pretty pretty good person when it, it comes right down to the heart of the matter. And that's true especially when we start comparing ourselves. When we compare ourselves to the wicked world around us. Relative to them, I'm awfully clean. And it also applies to the comparisons right here. Yes, I may have some spiritual dirt. 
But that person sitting a few pews over sure has a lot more dirt on his hands and on his heart than I do. We tend to minimize how bad it is. And thus we need baptism to admonish us. I am spiritually dirty on account of my sin. And that's exactly what it does. It reminds us that we need a cleansing. But it does more than that. Because it not only admonishes us that we're dirty, more importantly, and really the main point, is that it assures us that there is cleansing, that there is a washing in Jesus Christ. That's what the catechism especially emphasizes. Especially, for example, in answer 69, how art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee, thus that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul that is from all my sins as I am washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Notice in this language that the catechism identifies the cleansing agent. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Not water. Not soap. Not detergent. Not pine sol. Or any other cleaning agent. The blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood is sufficient. You, don't, you do not need to add anything to it. You do not need to add some sort of detergent on top of the blood in order to make it effective. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash away our sins. And notice also that we are passive in this washing. The language is that I am washed by His blood and Spirit. I do not wash myself. I'm not the one who takes out the, the scrub and the cleaning pad to make myself clean. I'm not the one using my fingernails to scrape away the dirt. But this is the work of Christ through His Spirit. We will not take the time to demonstrate it, but if we had more time, we'd note that there's a consistent reference to His blood and Spirit. And those two are always put together because the blood is the agent or the the cleansing agent, but the, the Spirit of Christ is the one applying that blood to us and making us clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is His work. But because He's the one doing it, and because the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient, that means there's a full cleansing. We're washed from all of our sins. The Catechism says that we are as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul. That is, from all my sins. It's not the case that when we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ that certain sins get left behind. It's not the case that the blood of Jesus Christ is unable to reach certain sins that are down into the depths of our heart. It finds every last one of them. Nor are certain sins resistant to the blood of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that we might get on ourselves that are very difficult to get off. If you get pine sap on your hands, you're going to need more than soap and water to get that off. But there's nothing like that spiritually. There's no sin that 
that needs something more, that's too powerful, that's attached to us too strongly. But the blood of Jesus Christ cannot remove. He washes away all of our sins. With the result that we are cleansed. We're made clean. We are made whole. Even as we're taught in answer 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? The answer it is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross. To be washed is to have your sins remitted. To have the debt that we owe paid. To have the punishment that we deserve taken care of. It's talking about the forgiveness of our sins. So that from a spiritual point of view, we've been made clean. And as those who are clean in the blood of Jesus Christ, we now have the right to draw near to our God. To approach Him. To have fellowship with Him. To to speak with our God. That first of all, is the symbolism of baptism. That's what it admonishes us and assures us the washing away of our sins. But there's more to it. Every one of us here undoubtedly knew going into the sermon that main symbolism of baptism. We all know that it signifies a washing, but there are other elements that we maybe perhaps sometimes forget or they are not on the forefront of our minds when we think about baptism. But There are two others, and they're both a part of answer 70. Answer 70 begins with talking about the remission of sins, but then it goes on to say in the middle, and also, here's what it is to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ. It's also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost. That's the second point of symbolism. And then third, and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. So secondly, The symbolism includes that we are renewed by the Holy Ghost. And here the catechism is drawing from a passage such as Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. This is the reason we read this chapter. Verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we also walk in newness of life. This passage speaks of baptism. It's talking not about the symbol, but about the spiritual reality. And it's connecting it to the fact that we are buried with Christ and raised together with Christ. That is, Christ's burial and His subsequent resurrection is our own burial and resurrection. We died with Him. And we're raised together with Him. So that verse 4 concludes, even so we should walk in newness of life. And what all this is pointing to is the fact that we've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's talking about our regeneration. We were dead, but now we've been made alive again. We've been given the very life of Jesus Christ implanted into our hearts. And that's a part of the symbolism of baptism. 
But perhaps you scratch your head and you think, well, how exactly does baptism point us to that? And to answer that question, we have to get into the mode of baptism. What we, that is, the method of baptism. And by that we mean whether or not we use water that's sprinkled on top of the forehead or whether an individual is immersed under the water. The Reformed churches, when wrestling with that question, which method, which mode to use, have always taken the position that the specific method is non-essential. That is, it does not, in the end, make a difference whether you sprinkle or whether you immerse. The main thing, the key element is there needs to be water applied to the individual. And it is for good reason. There are good reasons, I should say, why we use sprinkling. Not least of which is the fact that when Scripture speaks of the reality, it often speaks of us being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. For example, in Hebrews 12, verse 24, we have that very language that we are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's the language used with regard to the reality, then it's entirely legitimate to use that when we are applying the sign. But now, all that said, we do have to acknowledge that when it comes to this specific aspect of the symbolism, the fact that it points to us being buried with Christ and raised together with Him, immersion does more fully capture that. Because when you immerse someone underwater, that's a picture of the being buried with Christ, going beneath the surface. And then when that person is brought back up out of the water, that points to us being raised together with Christ, being given new life with Jesus Christ. And that means for us, when we baptize with sprinkling, we have to have in the back of our heads, there's more to the picture. It also includes that I've been given new life regenerated by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So that in the second place is the symbolism. That in the second place is what baptism admonishes us and assures us of. There's one more. Thirdly, it's that we are sanctified to be members of Christ. The catechism says, and also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die into sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. And here, catechism is drawing especially from the two Old Testament types of baptism. The passage through the Red Sea and the flood. Both of those point to Baptism, they're, they're, they're Old Testament types of this truth. And both of them involve a separation between the wicked and God's people that is accomplished by water. On one side of the flood, you have the church in the midst of a wicked world surrounded by enemies, and the church passes through the waters of the flood. The church is baptized in the flood and thereby separated so that the church is the only thing that comes out on the other side. Same thing with the Red Sea. 
On one side of the Red Sea, you have Israel in the midst of the Egyptians, those cruel taskmasters who were oppressing them and persecuting them. And it's the church that passes through the waters of the Red Sea, that's baptized in the Red Sea, and thereby separated from the Egyptians and devoted unto God. Both Old Testament types show us clearly that baptism points to this separation that takes place. And that's why the catechism says what it does, that included in the symbolism is that we are sanctified, that is set apart, separated to be members of Christ. Separated from the wicked world and devoted unto God. And more specifically, it says we're sanctified to be members of Christ. This is a picture of our entrance into the covenant community. This is a picture of our church membership. We're part of His body. And then the catechism goes on to say that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. And when it uses that language of more and more, it's talking about the calling to grow in a life of holiness. Our progressive sanctification. Now again, you ask, How does baptism point to that? The washing, that makes perfect sense. Yes, there's water being applied. And you've explained how there's also the symbolism of the renewal. But now what about this this third aspect, the fact that we're sanctified, set apart? Well, the explanation here is that baptism serves as a distinguishing mark. One is either baptized or not. And to have the waters of baptism applied, therefore, sets one apart from all those in the world who want nothing to do with this sign and nothing to do with the reality to which it points. So that when we're baptized, it's as though we're being given a new uniform or a new jersey. Not a member of the world anymore, of that army or of that team. But I'm a soldier in a different army. I'm a, I'm a participant on a different team. Belong to Christ. Because the name on this jersey is not my own name, but it's the name of my God, the, the name of my God that's been applied to me. I've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. His name is being applied to us. And we are thereby set apart, distinguished, separated from the wicked world, devoted unto God. It's a picture of us being sanctified in Jesus Christ. So three things that baptism admonishes us and assures us of. And understand that the second and the third are not unrelated to the first. The first is the washing. And that includes the admonition, I am dirty by nature, but then the assurance that I'm cleansed. But now, the second and third come along and they show us the possibility and the power of now living a life of thankfulness for that washing in Jesus Christ. They set before us the possibility we've been renewed. We've been given the very life of Jesus Christ. Dead sinners made alive again. And what is more, we're pointed to the power, the the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ who empowers us in a 
this life that we're called to live, a life of being of dying to sin and leading a holy and unblameable life. So that really we have all three parts of the Heidelberg Catechism here. Sin, salvation, service. Baptism admonishes me that on account of my sins, I stand before God as a dirty sinner. But it does not stop there. It assures me all of those sins have been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then it admonishes me again that I am now to live as one who has been washed. To live a holy and unblameable life before my God. Out of gratitude for the washing that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism admonishes me and assures me of. Now the question becomes, how does it do this? How? And to answer the question, how does this all work? We begin with the negative. We'll first note that this is really where the catechism begins in question 69. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism, and we'll come back to the positive explanation that's given, but we begin with the the negative, namely that it's not the external water that accomplishes this, that that itself gives grace. And this is a part of the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in question answer 72. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? And the answer is not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. And here the Heidelberg Catechism is addressing the error of the Roman Catholic Church which concerning the sacraments teaches that they are grace in and of themselves. You've probably heard the phrase ex opero operata. I said that wrong. Ex opera operato. And it means from the work worked. It's the Roman Catholic's terminology, their phrase, and what they're saying is that baptism is efficacious in and of itself. It's not just the means of grace. It is grace. That's their viewpoint. So that even if someone does not understand what's happening, even if somebody's not even present, when the sacraments are being administered, it can still be grace for that individual. More specifically, regarding baptism, they teach what's called baptismal regeneration. The idea is that the water of baptism is the thing that brings about our regeneration. This is why the Roman Catholic Church says that you have to be baptized if you want to be saved. But all of that's out of harmony with God's Word. It's inconsistent with the truth of Scripture. It's not the external water itself that accomplishes all this. That's clear because Scripture itself makes a distinction between the sign and the reality to which it points. For example, this is the teaching of 1 Peter 3, verse 12 talking about the flood as a type, it says, "...the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, 
not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. So it speaks of the the like figure of baptism. And then it says, not the putting away of flesh. So that it's making a distinction between there's the sign and there's the reality to which it points. And it's not the sign that matters. it's, It's the reality. And what is more, Scripture itself makes clear that the, the cleansing agent is the blood of Jesus Christ. We've said that, but now hear it from Scripture. 1 John 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. It's not the water. Water has no power in and of itself to wash away my spiritual dirt. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. But now having addressed the negative, how it does not work, we still have to give the positive. How then does it work? And the explanation is that the sacrament admonishes us and assures us by more fully declaring the promise of the Gospel to us. That's the language that we saw in the previous Lord's Day. Question and answer 66. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible, signs and seals appointed of God for this end that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel. And we explained last week this does not mean that that baptism is giving us new, additional information on top of what the preaching gives us. But the point is it's communicating in a different manner. It's, It's communicating in a visible manner. It's setting this truth before our eyes so that we can observe it with our senses. It paints a picture for us. And in that way, it gives us confidence. It strengthens our faith. And that's what the catechism especially gets at in question and answer 69. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism? The answer is thus, that the Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as... I am washed externally with water. As certainly as water washes away external filth, I can be just as certain that my sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. So that for the child of God, he's able to say, I know I've been baptized. Even if I don't remember my own baptism, my parents remember it. They, they've told me I've been baptized. There's, there's paperwork in church that says I'm a baptized member of the church. Or even if it's not my own baptism, it's the witnessing of baptism. The child of God could say, I know I saw water up there. That was not an illusion. That was not some mirage. I saw water dripping from the hands of my minister down to the forehead of that child. I have no doubt about it. And now I can have the same level of confidence that all my sins are washed away. That's the point. So that the very waters of baptism declare the truth of the Gospel to us. They they speak to us, as it were. 
admonishing me. I am dirty. I need this cleansing. But then declaring and assuring there is a a washing. All the sins are taken care of, removed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then finally admonishing us to go forth and to live as one who has been washed. The water speaks to us as it were. It declares to us the promise of the Gospel by setting it before our eyes visibly. And it has that capability because Christ Himself said it does. You see, there's nothing special about the water. We don't add any salts or oils to the water that make it somehow able to declare the message of the Gospel. It's ordinary H2O. It comes from the kitchen sink in the back of church. So what makes it have this effect? Well, because Christ Himself appointed this as a sacrament. And He added to it promises. That's what the answers the beginning of answer 69 is getting at that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise. And then question answer 71 elaborates on this. Where has Christ promised us that He will as certainly wash us by His blood and Spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? And the answer is in the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed. And then it Quotes Matthew 28, verse 19 and Mark 16, verse 16. Christ instituted this as a sacrament. And He added to it promises. And that's the reason that it has the effect that it does. That it declares to us the Gospel. And thereby strengthens our faith. And understand that Faith is so crucial here. Especially when we step back and consider that there are some who have been baptized that every indication everything we can see about this person would indicate that this person does not have the reality. Because as a Reformed church, we baptized all of the infants of the congregation. We'll explain why next week Sunday, the Lord willing. But we are also aware of the painful reality that at times there are those who were baptized as infants, but who grow up and reject the truth of the Gospel. Who turn their back on the church. Who want nothing to do with Christianity. And this can be troubling for us. We both receive the same sign. Myself and this individual who's walking on the path of sin. And if we both receive the same sign and every indication is that he does not have the reality, how do I know that I have the reality? How does this this water assure me? How does it give me any confidence if it was applied to that individual too? And the answer is that we believe this by faith. It's faith that lays hold of the promises of Jesus Christ that He is attached to the waters of baptism and says, by faith, for the believer says by faith, as certainly as 
water washes away filth. As certainly as I know that the waters of baptism were applied to my own head, or I saw the waters of baptism applied to an individual this morning, I can have by faith the same level of confidence that my sins are washed away. So that the picture This visible declaration of the Gospel is strengthening. It's bolstering our our faith. It's assuring us. And it does this all throughout our lives. And that's the answer to the when. Baptism admonishes us and assures us that the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ is of real advantage for us. We've explained what it admonishes us of and assures us of. We've explained how it does this. But now there's the the question, when? When does it do this? In answering that question, we have to state negatively that it's not just a one-time deal. It's not just only when the the waters of baptism were applied to my head. Nor is it the case that, well, when three sets of couples bring their children to the front of church next Sunday, that, well, it's helping the parents, but there's no real value for any of the rest of us sitting here this morning. But this is something that serves the child of God all throughout his life. And while that does not come out in the Heidelberg Catechism, it does come out in the Belgic Confession. Belgic Confession... Article 34 concerning baptism in this Psalter, in this Psalter, I'm on page 51. The very last lines on the bottom right corner of page 51 in this Psalter reads this way Neither doth this baptism avail us only at the time when the water is poured upon us and received by us, but all through the whole course of our life. It helps us every step of the way. And I think this is something that the Reformers understood better than us and were more conscious of. This is something that Martin Luther emphasized in his preaching and in his writing. He would often encourage those whom he was addressing to remember their baptism. In fact, he went so far as to say that if we do not remember, if we never give it a second thought, then the devil devil has been successful in quenching the power of our baptism. And Martin Luther himself would use his baptism to do battle with the devil. He himself tells us that at times when the devil was tempting him, he would say to the devil out loud, Be gone from me, I am baptized. There's wisdom in that. It's important that we remember our baptism. When we're battling spiritual pride, remember your baptism. Because we like to think that I'm head and shoulders above others or I'm not quite as dirty as that other person. But then when I remember my baptism, I remember the only thing that sets me apart. The only thing that makes me clean is the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing that I have done. 
when I'm struggling with a guilty conscience, when the devil is trying to sow doubt about my salvation, remember your baptism. And say to the devil, it's true. I'm a sinner. I'm spiritually dirty and polluted on account of my sin, but devil, I've been washed. I've been cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of those sins, every last one of them, is now gone. When you're tempted to conform to the world around you, to live like them, remember your baptism. I've been set apart I've been given a new uniform, a new jersey. And I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to keep it out of view, cover it up when I'm around rubbing shoulders with the world. Nor am I going to get it dirty. I'm not going to take that jersey and drag it through the mud by walking in a life of sin. But as one who's been washed, out of thankfulness for that washing, I'm going to live accordingly. Child of God, remember your baptism. Because when by faith we believe the promises attached to it, that baptism admonishes us and assures us every step of our lives. Baptism is of lasting value for you, child of God. It's good for you still today. So let us praise our Savior for giving us this means of grace, for giving us this sacrament out of His love for His blood-bought people. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the means of grace. For the preaching which declares to us the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, but then also the sacraments that come alongside of the preaching to admonish us and assure us to strengthen our faith, to give us confidence. And we pray that by the power of Thy Spirit, Thou wouldst make these effectual in our own hearts and lives. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.